continuing our series we've called Anxious for Nothing. And uh, we've, this is the third week of the series. Uh, the first week we talked about uh, what happens when you've had enough. You know, when you go, man, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope, what do I do? And we talked about how God is close even in those moments. Last week we talked about praying through the pain. And we talked about how anxiety is not a sin, but it is a signal that tells you something else is going on in your life. We talked about how prayer and surrender are two really powerful tools that God has given us to uh, push back and overcome uh, anxiety. And I want to thank you, uh, those of you that are, that are online and here, I just want to thank you the way that you've shared this series. Uh, we've gotten a lot of good feedback. I've been hearing it this week and last week of people who are in our church and outside of our church who have uh, received one of these messages or, uh, you know, come to one of these services. And we've just gotten a lot of good feedback. So thank you for inviting and sharing. And maybe you're here today or watching online because somebody invited you. And uh, if you're here because somebody invited you, I can't tell you how happy we are that you came today. And we pray this service will be a blessing to you. So we're going to take one, one more stab at it today. Uh, and then next week, is going to be our final week of the Anxious for Nothing series. But here's our stab today. We're going to look at it through the perspective of a prisoner. If you've been following along in this series, you realize that the guy that wrote, Paul the Apostle, that wrote Philippians 4, which is our foundational passage for this series, was a prisoner at the time. He had been uh, wrongly accused. He had been uh, taken to Rome, and he had shown up there uh, he felt this calling to go to Rome, but he arrived a very different way than he thought he was going to arrive. He arrived as a prisoner. Uh, he didn't think that was going to happen. How, how many of you know that sometimes when you have a dream or an idea about how something's going to look in the future and then it looks different, it's hard, to, it's hard to recognize? Well, he still ended up in Rome where he felt called to go, but it looked different than he thought it would. He was a prisoner under 24-7 guard. Roman soldiers were watching him all the time. He was, uh, his life was threatened because he didn't know if he was going to be executed. He didn't know if he was going to die of old age in jail. He didn't know if he would get out one day. He didn't know what was going to happen. And as you might imagine, that uh, spawned so many questions and, um, and thoughts in his mind, so much uncertainty. And without a doubt, he was very vulnerable to anxiety in that moment. But nevertheless, let's look and see what he wrote uh, in that state. Philippians 4, verse 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Doesn't sound like a guy in jail, does it? Let your gentleness be evident to all. I don't know how you feel, but like, you know, when, when somebody puts me in jail, does something bad to me. Not like, not that I've ever been in jail. I mean to imply that. Get that out there. Just edit that out. <laughs> when somebody does something bad to you, like oftentimes it's human nature to say, I want them to feel the pain they've made me feel. And it's amazing that Paul the Apostle said, let your gentleness be evident to all. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. How could Paul the Apostle rejoice when he was facing potential execution? That's a, that's a good question. He should have been overwhelmed. He should have been, you know, 
completely consumed with his own fear and stress, but in the middle of it, instead, he says, rejoice. And just in case he was afraid someone might have misunderstood him, he said it twice. He said, rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again. Now, I don't know how this sounds to you, but these words seem so far out of place. They seem out of context for what he's going through, and they seem so far away from my life and your life when we're struggling. They just, they just don't seem to ring true. It almost sounds like, uh, you know when you see somebody post something on social media and it's, it's all the happy, happy, and you go, that's not, <laughs> that's not what's really happening. Like, I know them. That's not what's happening, but they put some little cliche or some little mic drop or some little quote up there, like, and you go, ah, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't ring true. Or have you ever received hollow advice from a friend who can't possibly understand what you're going through, but they think that they do, and they give you a solution that's way too simple and doesn't fit your life? Any, anybody? Am I the only one? Does that irritate anybody else? Right? So I just want to say that because we are so tempted to put this scripture in that category. That this is just happy, happy advice. What does Paul the Apostle know? He lived 2,000 years ago. Nobody that lived 2,000 years ago knows anything. And they didn't have any real struggles like we have today. I mean, what's he, in prison? That's not a big deal, right? I mean, what could he possibly know about what I'm going through? And if we're not careful, we read the Scripture, we read some of the verses, and we put them in that social media happy, happy club. And we say, that really hasn't anything to do with my life. What do you mean, rejoice always? How do you mean that? You mean like when I have a flat tire on Highway 31 in Alabama in August, and the heat index is 112, and it's rush hour? Is that what we're talking about? Are we talking about when I find, find out that my spouse has lied to me? Is that what we're talking about? Are we talking about when I've overspent or my expenses have outpaced my income and I'm in debt and I don't know what I'm going to do and the financial pressure is crushing me? You mean when a teenager, my teenager, makes a really bad decision and it affects our whole family and there's going to be no, way, no quick way to resolve it? It might take years. You mean when I go to bed at night and I just lie there in the bed hour after hour after hour and my mind is circulating like a broken record? Is that what you mean? You mean then? You mean always like then? I'll give you the short answer first. Yes. Yes, then. Yes, all those times. And I'll unpack that a little bit so we can see it. The short answer is yes, and I want you to understand why this verse has unbelievable credibility. Because who wrote it? Like this wasn't like the child of a billionaire who had lived a fluffy life that had been bubble wrapped from all of life's challenges. This wasn't written by a person who was born with a silver spoon in their mouth and everything always went their way. Who wrote this verse gives it incredible 
Incredible credibility. Paul the Apostle was a tent maker. He built tents and he sold them and that's how he made his income and that's how he fed himself and lived and traveled. And he traveled around his part of the world at that time planting churches and sharing Jesus with people. So I want to give you a picture of Paul's life just so you understand how much credibility this guy has when he writes always. Just so you think he's not quoting some cliche to you or he didn't just grab something off social media. Look at 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. This is a description of his life, what he had been through. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Any of you had 39 lashes? Not me either. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from, uh, from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. This is the guy that wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. So you're not, you're not reading from some fluff. You're not reading from some person that doesn't know that life can be hard. This guy will probably had a harder life than any of us will ever have. And somehow he wrote Philippians 4 with amazing credibility. So it begs this question. What did he know that we don't know? How did he get there? How did he arrive there? How could he rejoice after living a life like that? And how could he say to the people who were following Jesus and who were following his leadership, rejoice always after he had lived a life like that and it looked like that life could end in execution. He was in jail. Here's the answer. It's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. The word perspective comes from a Greek word that means to look all the way through. Not to look at things how they look, but to look through things and to see them how they are. So have you ever looked at one of those... Um, it's called magic art, one of those pictures that just looks like a bunch of gobbledygook, you know, like somebody spilled paint on a, it's a bunch of, like wallpaper, it's a bunch of patterns, and you stare at it, and somebody says, what do you see? And you say, I see nothing. It's just junk on the, on the paper. But something happens if you keep staring at it. You keep staring at it, and all of a sudden, your perspective shifts and then you start to see, you know, like a whole school of dolphins or like uh, eagles soaring over or trees or, you know, something like that. What happens? Your mind gets tired of looking at two-dimensional reality and it shifts and starts to look at three-dimensional reality. And now all of a sudden you see things that you couldn't see before. Or it's like um, when you're watching a movie on Netflix and, or, or, or let's say it's a movie you want to watch, but you haven't seen it. Imagine if you were to take your remote and just scroll, just fast forward to the middle of the movie, grab a scene, push play, and watch it. And you'd be like, what, what, who's that guy? 
What, is she, what are they talking about? What do they mean back, back two years ago? Two years, what does that mean? Can you imagine how lost you would be? And you know why you would be lost? Because you would only see that one scene. But here's the thing, this is a long movie. <laughs> and you can't get the perspective of the whole movie until you see the whole movie. And see, here's the thing, you and I live in one scene of life at a time, but our life, it's a long life. And there's a lot of things that are going to happen. But God sees the whole story. He sees your whole life. He knows everything that's going to happen. And so what happens is, is when we get stuck in one scene and we can't make sense out of it, and especially if it's going bad and it's stressing us out, we think that's, gonna, that's the whole movie. We think that one scene's the whole movie. It's our whole life. It's our whole story. Things have always been bad, and they're always going to be bad, and they're never going to get better. But that's a lack of perspective. God has a higher perspective because he sees the whole thing at one time. And when we rejoice, like Paul said, it starts to pull our perspective up out of that frozen scene and it starts to allow us to see a picture bigger than any one scene we happen to be in at the time. Isn't that right? You can clap for that. That's okay to clap for that. That's good. So... God sees the whole story. So here's the question, or or here's the thought. Perspective is how you look at something. So let um, let me give you three things that you can do to shift your perspective from a, from a, a one scene, one dimensional deal to a more three dimensional, higher perspective. We're just gonna call it a praise perspective, okay? So number one, a praise perspective lifts our focus up off ourself and puts it on God. So when you look at your life through the lens, through the perspective of fear and anxiety, it blocks a praise perspective. It, it prevents you, it's like you're staring at 2D and you can't see the 3D reality behind it. Paul's in prison And he could have said, hey, this is terrible. My life is over. My ministry is over. My life's going to end. That's the perspective he could have had. Now, what I want to do is I want to actually read a verse to you out of a version of the Bible you've never heard of because it's not real. But it is the version that we read to ourselves many times. It's called the bad perspective version, the BPV. And it might be slightly offensive, I'm going to warn you, but I'm just keeping it real because this is how we think sometimes. What if Paul the Apostle would have read from the bad perspective version, here's what he would have said. You ready? Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what what has happened to me really sucks. God let me down. I'm overwhelmed with anxiety, depression, and hopelessness because of the hell I've been through. I'm quitting my life group, and I'm never going back to church again. You, you may say, you shouldn't read things like that in church. You shouldn't think things like that. Right? Don't, don't put it on me. But we do. We do think things like that sometimes. So I just want to drag it out here in the light so we can see it. And now let's compare it to what Paul the Apostle actually wrote. Listen to this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, 
that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. What is that? That's a higher perspective. That's a praise perspective. It looked really bad. But what, Jesus, what Paul is saying is, but you know what? Even though it looked bad, God used what looked bad for good because it opened doors for the gospel that wouldn't have opened any other way. And he was able to reach Roman soldiers that would have never heard about Jesus. And the message got all the way up to the emperor. So he's locked in this jail. He could be thinking, this is terrible. My life's going to end. I might be executed. Instead, you know what he's doing? He's going, God, I praise you that you put me here, and I'm going to share Jesus as long as I live. And he kept sharing it with the, and the word spread through the whole palace that, hey, he's actually in jail because of Jesus. And people came to know Jesus because of it. I, I have some uh, dear friends, missionary friends in Argentina uh, in the 90s, I'd spent some time there on some trips with them, uh, Rocky and Sherry Grahams, and they're in Buenos Aires, which is a, like New York City. It's massive. Crime at that time there probably hasn't gotten better. It was so bad. It was so bad. And I remember him telling me when I got there, he goes, when you preach in chapel to the Bible school students, if you want to use a relevant illustration, just come up with an illustration about people being robbed because everybody in our campus has been robbed or a relative has been robbed. This is that bad. And so they were on their way home one evening and they were going to walk in the door and some robbers pushed their way in behind them, forced them into their own house, tied them up in the kitchen, put them in the floor, and they spent about an hour just rummaging through their house, seeing what they could take. And they didn't know in that moment, are they going to hurt us? What's going to happen? After about an hour, the event ended. They were, they were uh, allowed to go. They, somehow the robbers left and they found a way out. And so they went to the police station. And so can you imagine how traumatizing it would be to be trying to just work your way into your house and people push you in and tie you up and take your... It's just, it's just scary. It's traumatizing. And uh, they went to the police station. And uh, I remember uh, when he told me this story, as only he could have told the story. He said, you know what happened though? He said, when we got to the police station... Uh, we were just sharing, you know, what had happened to us. And the police chief, they, for whatever reason, they ended up at the, with the police chief. And the police chief said, I just can't believe how you guys are thinking about this and how you're processing this. And, you know, what does that mean? And it just opened the door and they started to talk about Jesus to the police chief. And it ended with the police chief sitting at his desk with his face in his hands crying. And the missionaries putting their hands on him and praying for him. And ministering to him. Because see what happens is sometimes what the enemy means for bad, God means for good. But it just made me wonder, I, I wonder if there are times that God has something he wants to do but we don't see it. Because we're looking two dimensional. And we don't see that a higher way. So here's the second um, thought. A praise perspective is a personal choice. Now, here's what's really interesting about Paul. Uh, this wasn't his first time in jail. Paul had been in jail before. He wasn't new to this, and he wasn't new to this praise perspective either. He and a missionary friend, Silas, uh, had been thrown in jail because they were in a city. There was this, it's a long story, but there's this demon-possessed girl who had some ability to tell the future or something. She's following them around, 
and they, they turn and cast the demon out of her. Well, you would think this is good news, right? Except this girl's being trafficked by these two slave owners who are using her to tell people's fortune, and they're making money off her. And so they get mad. Hey, you, you, you broke her. <laughs> she, she was good when she had the demon. Now, now she's not useful to us anymore. We can't make any money. And it started a riot in the city. And Paul and Silas were captured. They were beaten. They were thrown in jail. And so here they are in jail, bloody and bruised. And about midnight, I guess they couldn't sleep. The Bible says they just turned their perspective up toward heaven and they started to pray and they started to praise God, and something amazing happened. God responded in such a powerful way. An earthquake shook the jail, and the, and the jail doors all flung open, and the chains that were on their hands and feet fell off. And as you might imagine, a bunch of people started running away, and Paul and Silas stayed. They didn't want to waste a miracle. So they stayed, and when the Roman soldier that was over the jail came to check, and he was thinking, I'm going to be in trouble. It's going to cost me my life, maybe. Paul and Silas are there, and you know what? Paul and Silas share Jesus with the Roman soldier over the jail, who who was in charge of the jail. They share Jesus with him, and that night, the Bible says, he and his whole household got saved, and that very night, this who knows, probably one or two in the morning by now, Paul and Silas baptized in water the whole family. What an incredible turn of events. Now, I'm not saying that every time you take on a praise perspective that God's going to send an earthquake and shake open all your problems. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. But I am saying this. When you make a personal choice to lift your eyes up and praise God in the middle of your trouble something's going to change. Your perspective. So here's what I thought. Why don't we try it this morning? You want, you want to try it for a minute? Just, you don't have to stand up. Just read online. You don't have to do anything. I just, I, just gave, I just wrote a few praises this morning, and I just want us to praise God together, okay? And all you have to do is just read them with me. I praise you that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's a good one, isn't it? I praise you that I've been raised with Christ in new life. I praise you that in you I live and move and have my being. I praise you that you're a covenant God, faithful to a thousand generations. I praise you that your word will never pass away. I praise you that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Did you feel that? You know what happened? You, you stopped listening to me. You stopped focusing on what I was doing and saying, and you lifted your perspective up to God, and it started to lift something inside your soul. When you make a choice to have a praise perspective, it shifts something in your spirit and in your mind, and it lightens the load that you're carrying. So number three, a praise perspective unlocks God's better plan. So, Paul and Silas are in jail, and, um, you know, as we said, the chains have fallen off, the, the door is open, and, and, and we go back to and see again this better plan where um, 
Paul and Silas share Jesus with the guard, and they get saved, and their family gets saved, and they end up doing a water baptism at 2. You ever done a baptism at 2 in the morning? I have not. I'd love to do that. I'd love to see God work in such a way in somebody's life that the only natural thing we could do is find a pool or a bathtub or something and say, hey, you guys say, why don't we just get baptized right now? Man, that, that would be a praise perspective, wouldn't it? But his perspective made all the difference. I just wonder what would have happened when Paul and Silas were in that jail if they would have read from the bad perspective version of the Bible. What do you think would have happened? You think the guard would have gotten saved? You think the family would have gotten saved? You think there would have been a water baptism at 2 a.m.? Here's what I just want to ask you. Do you think it's possible that God sometimes has better plans than you and I see? And we don't see them happen because our perspective is on my life is going terrible and this is bad and I'm overwhelmed. And we've paused the remote control locked into one scene. And we say, today is bad, this week is bad, this season is bad, whatever, and it's never going to get better and things are never going to change. But God's at this higher level. The Bible says his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's up here working, he's saying, just look up. Just look up. Just look up. There's more going on than you think, but you got this tunnel vision locked into this one scene that you've paused and you won't let it go. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it goes away. It doesn't mean that the circumstances necessarily get better. Perspective is not about things getting better. It's about seeing the same things a different way. That's what perspective is. And so if you have a praise perspective, what you're saying is, you know what, God? In the middle of it all, I praise you that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you that you're the alpha and the omega. You're the beginning and the end. I praise you that the world will pass away, but your word will never pass away. You see what I'm saying? And is it possible if your perspective shifted, it might open your eyes to see 3D, to look through the whole movie, and to see that God's doing something bigger than you thought he was around you through all of this. You just couldn't see it. Because your perspective I mean, it might be from the bad version, the bad perspective version. Everybody has read from that version. I've read from it, and you've read from it. We've all read from it. But man, when you look at this, this verse right here, that Paul the Apostle, with all the credibility in the world, when he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Man, it doesn't mean being fake, and it doesn't mean being phony, and it doesn't mean being plastic, and it doesn't mean living in denial, and it doesn't mean avoiding reality. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means there are things happening simultaneously in different dimensions, and you and I get a choice which dimension we're going to look at. So, don't read from the bad perspective version. It'll wreck your perspective. And it'll keep you 
it'll keep your anxiety so high because you'll be constantly focused on and stressed about things you probably don't have much ability to change anyway. God sometimes has a better plan, a different plan, a bigger plan. He can take something bad and make it into something beautiful. So I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning. In, in what way uh, is anxiety a prison for you? Is there a way that anxiety is a prison for you? Is there any way in your life today that anxiety is holding you back from seeing God's better plan? Now, I think where you have to start with a question like that is, is you have to look. You don't look at the thing that's going right. You don't look at the thing that's going good in your life and say, oh, yeah, this incredible thing's probably, you know, clouding my vision. It usually doesn't work like that. It's usually something that's not going well or something that's challenging you or frustrating you or overwhelming you or stressing you or even something that could be terribly tragic. Start there. In what way is that real thing, that real tragedy, that real pain causing you to maybe not see God's bigger plan? Because he always has a bigger plan. So we want to pray, pray for you today. Would you just stand with me? And those of you who are um, online, our prayer team is, is with you right now. They've been praying for you this morning, and they're live and would love to pray for you now. So if you'll just jump online or you'll jump in the comment section and leave your prayer need or your name, they'll jump in and pray with you immediately. I want to ask you as, as our worship team just leads us for another couple minutes. I want to ask you to lift your perspective up. Just try it. Just try it. Just lift it up. Just, just begin to say, Lord, I, I, um, I push away out of my mind the thing that's going wrong or, the, or whatever the things are, and I just lift my eyes up. I lift my vision up. And I'm just going to focus on you. Lord, I, I thank you today that you're, um, you're working and you're present and you're here. And you've set aside these moments so that you might um, minister to our hearts, strengthen our minds, refresh our spirits, and lift us up into heavenly places with you. So Lord, I pray that you would do that now in Jesus' name.